Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, episode 173, Let's Send Karen Packing. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Anthony Fitzpatrick. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing really good. I'm looking forward to the biggest game for the Lions in some time. I'm, I'm really up for this one. The whole world has written us off, and I'm just ready to stick the finger up at absolutely everybody when we win, because we will win. I am very confident that we're going to. So I'm 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 very excited. Biggest game, <laughs> biggest game of the year for the Lions by far. Biggest game since end of 2017. I want to venture that it's been that long since we've had such a meaningful game this deep into the season. It's been a heck of a long time, and we need to seize the day and seize the opportunity because, for me, this ain't about. We we said it at one and six. It ain't about the you know moral victories anymore. And then we started getting actual victories. And now we're looking at a situation where like people are talking, oh well, if the Lions lose, it's still been a really good season. Fucking bullshit. Like, sorry guys, we can wax lyrical about how well they've done the second half of the year a couple of weeks before the draft and go, doesn't the future look great? But you've played yourself into an 18% chance of making the postseason. You've got to seize it. This is the time. Go you and might, do your part. You might not get this opportunity again. You never the, know. This, the this, Lions this, could play better next year and have and a worse record. Lose. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this. it doesn't matter whether you're in year two. When you, 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 a lot of people's expectations were like year three, year four. And they're like, oh, well, year two, we're ahead of schedule. No, you're not, potentially. This is a defining game for the Detroit Lions because the magnitude of this game, what is on the line, you're going to learn a lot about the team here. And we like to think, you know, the offense is, we'd like to say the offense is just about set right now. We're probably as close to a full strength offense as we're ever going to get, you know, in terms of things, in terms of having the great rookies on there, having the really good vets. And I know the defense has had its, struggles but it's shown that on its day it's very good it's full of young hungry players who can dominate when they want to and these are the games that you join the nfl to play in you want to get the success you want to be in the highest pressure environments to show that you can win in those environments and how we play this weekend regardless of the result win or lose how we play will say a lot about this team and it could have drastic repercussions for years going forward. If we get wiped and we're not even a factor in this and it's a no contest, then you've got to start going back to the drawing board because there's going to be a lot of questions about players and their ability, the mentality, etc. Because again, that offense is stacked and ready. If it doesn't perform, what's wrong with it? Are the players not good enough, etc., etc.? And if we win, well, look, year two from being in the shittiest situation that I think any head coach has ever had to take over before. And you're in the playoffs already. Testament to the job they're doing, you know, the belief in themselves. It's 
It's really big, this is. They need to show up and play well. If they play well and lose, that's fine. I don't mind. But you've got to be ready for these games, regardless of what where you think your franchise is, where you think the squad is. You've got to show up and play. You do. We're going to get into this game. We're going to talk about the news. But first, don't forget to join our Discord channel. Link is in the YouTube chat and on the twitch chat right now so come and join us there really friendly nice place to be full of lots of cool lions fans and as the season finishes we get into draft season there's going to be increasing amounts of content on there so come and join us in our discord channel college football podcast and was yesterday what did he talk about uh, we reviewed the college football playoff semi-finals two big games on the weekend two incredibly good games actually and then we took a look ahead to the Natty this weekend, Georgia TCU. We previewed that. And then we finished off our review of bowl season, went through a few of the teams we liked, a few of the players we liked, and then we did our end-of-season mock drafts. We do one halfway through the college season, and then we do another one at the end to sort of check notes as to where we are, how our feelings have changed, our players, etc., positions. Um, so, yeah, we went through all that. So a lot in there. Go, Go check it out. Please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast, rate, review, all that sort of stuff. You know it really helps us out with the YouTube algorithm. And don't forget the app at lionsnationunite.com. Herman Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together, including us, Dose of Dion, Micro Mike, Lions on the Prowl. They're all there. So go and download the app at lionsnationunite.com. And we are a Twitch affiliate, which means if you have Amazon Prime, if you're subbed to that, you get a free Twitch Prime subscription. If you can throw it our way, it puts about $2.50 in our pocket at Amazon's expense. doesn't cost you a penny. Uh, it goes towards supporting the podcast. You know, it costs a fair bit, and anything you guys can contribute towards that is is really, really appreciated. So thank you for doing that. And finally, we launched recently a feedback form, which is ongoing. It's in the YouTube description below this video. So if you've got any comments about the show, anything that you want to improve about it, then we'd really appreciate you having your say at that form. And then there's also below that a tip jar if anyone feels particularly um, generous. Let's get on with the news. And first, a really nice bit of news and, and one which I don't think in week nine he would have expected. But James Houston is the Pepsi rookie of the week for week 17. He tallied three sacks. He got a force fumble against the Bears in week 17. He is the rookie sack leader and he only got activated in week 10. What a season for a man you were standing for before the season even started. Yeah, but I don't even think his stands would have uh, guessed that he'd be top of the rookie sack leader chart at this point. It's it's incredible. It really is. And that's why, what and for me, that's why the job Brad Holmes does when it comes to his draft picks is just so impressive. You've got to find a guy who's got talent. You've got to find a guy who's got high ceiling. You know, you want to find a guy who's got all the tools to succeed but you've got to have the work ethic to go with it as well. You've got to have the right attitude, the right stuff. And James Houston has that. Don't forget, he was a draft pick, got caught, had to wait his turn, came back to us, has spent over half a season on the practice squad, having to grind, having to earn his way onto this team. And then when he's made it through to the team, he's gone, right, there's a reason you drafted me. I'm going to go out and show you the reason why. And you are never, ever going to drop me again. And 
that that is the case now. <laughs> You're at the point where there ain't no way he's going near a practice squad again while he carries this up. He's going to be part of the main rotation going forward. And, you know, this is the reason why. It's not a flash in the pan. It's the way he wins is critical. And, you know, I was, I was, this is the knock I had on Hutch last year when I was going over Hutch. The lack of a pass rush in Arsenal, the lack of ways to win. I mean, for an elite guy, it's not so bad. If you're an elite guy who's got two or three elite ways to win, then you're going to be fine in the league. But a guy like him, there's just every single move in the pass rushing arsenal you need. So for the guys who are later picks and that, it it maximizes your chances of getting pressure. You know, tackles just don't know what's coming their way with him. He sets them up and then rinses them. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So... You know, it's kudos to Brad Holmes for seeing that potential in him, for seeing that he's got all the raw material necessary and just needs developing up a bit. And again, I don't think anyone in the wildest dreams would have seen it happening this quick, but this is what happens when you try hard and when you look everywhere. Because very few people look through the HBCUs for talent. It's there. There's more this year coming up we've started looking at. And, you know, kudos to him. But Houston absolutely deserves this. And hopefully it carries on. He's just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, fingers crossed. He absolutely deserves it. And I mean, I think it's kind of funny, isn't it, how he he didn't quite make it as a linebacker um, in the FBS. So he drops down to FCS level, gets asked to play at the edge with a Hall of Famer, absolutely breaks out, gets drafted by the Lions, wants to play linebacker. This is a point made, um, I think, by Eric Schlitt on POD. I'm stealing it shamelessly, and I don't care because it's a great one. He came in, and he asked to play linebacker, and that's what the Lions tried. To begin with, they tried to play him at linebacker. You saw that in preseason. They they were like, we don't know where he's going to play. He can do both. But he clearly was being tried to make work as an off-ball linebacker. And it didn't work. And that's why he went to the practice squad. And the more they realized it wasn't working there, the more they tried him edge, the more it really, really worked until they couldn't not put him on the team. And then when they do put him on the team and he starts earning more snaps and more snaps, then suddenly you have opportunities where you can stunt him into an off linebacker position so the sack on Justin Fields where he is in the wide nine alignment he drops into coverage and then when Fields tries to scramble he explodes to the man well that's him stunting into an off-ball linebacker position which he can do and he can play in coverage just not fantastically and then he's got the speed to finish I mean he's got all the tools where as that sort of three four outside linebacker he's going to be an absolute terror and he can still do the job as a four three edge as well see that's what Dion did with him he'd, he'd been a linebacker of florida for years and not played there goes to jackson state and Dion moves him to edge to the outside and no wonder he wanted to play there because that's where sanders has been teaching him how to play and i'm not surprised he wanted to sort of carry on doing that at the outside linebacker rather than an outright edge or you know it, you noticed it in his college career the second he got moved Dion saw it. He saw his talents there on the edge and that he had everything he needed to. And he exploded for a year and just went absolutely crazy. And, you know, he's 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 a good judge of talent. Dion Sanders sees the talent. Obviously, Hounds is going to see the talent. It's just it's just getting him in the right position to do it. But I always said the outside linebacker could be a gig for him because he has the knowledge to play linebacker if you need to. He's been there long enough, but he's also got the pass rushing potential to be good in there. So just keep developing him. You might just see him next year, the entirety of next year, you might see him in the specialist pass rusher role. But I think behind the scenes, they will be training him up as that kind of hybrid type guy 
in the long term to come in and be able to sort of do a little bit of everything. And it's a good position to be in because your, de- your edge room's deep at the minute, so you don't need to give him millions of snaps at edge. You can sort of move it around a little bit and, and get a bit funky with it. But, yeah, I, in a few years, I think he'll be a hybrid. But for now, keep him as the edge. He's, he's doing really well there. I mean, it. I know they like players being multiple. I know that's a horrible word to use considering the last regime that was here. But in terms of multiple players, you look at how someone who's probably played his way into a contract like John Kaminsky, who plays equally well at three or five tech, I would say. So he can be that big defensive end while Hutchinson is the rush guy. But you can also kick inside. You've got Houston, who can be that guy outside or the wide nine, or possibly stunt into off-the-wall linebacker. You've got Aleem, who can play nose or three-tech. You've got so many players who can do so many different things. If Levi comes back, he can play three or five, maybe even seven. You've got such versatility there. Hutch can play outside or inside. Almost everyone on that line can do a different position other than what is regarded to be their specialism. And that means that when you put all these guys on the field, the defense, uh, sorry, the offense doesn't know what's coming. I think with Patricia, though, it was more like a fundamental overload, you know, with guys. It was asking them to do things that were not their skill set and, you know, sort of taking away from theirs. Like with Tobai and, and Davis, for, you know, we said for years they weren't sort of utilizing them as the linebackers who they should have been. It just looked like they were confused. They were all over the place because they were just getting asked to do absolutely everything in terms of the jobs. Whereas the guys, the outside linebacker, you know, that sort of area. You're an edge, you're a linebacker, but as long as you're taught the position's fine and your role is defined, then you're all right. All these guys on the defensive line, that their role is defined and it's very easy for them to know what to do when they need to do it. With Patricia, it was just full-on overload from positions and, and putting, making them do things they're not good at. So I think there's a bit of a difference here. Um, you do want your big guys who are a bit versatile along the line and can do little bits here so you can give different looks. Um, but it was different to the way Patricia did it. You, you don't see it with these guys. You don't you don't see them sort of lost and looking what to do. They're all very dialed in. They're all very disciplined. Um, and you'll see it more. I think those are the sort of guys you'll look towards in the draft. If you want your if you want your defensive linemen in the draft, then you know, look towards the guys who slide in and down the line and do all sorts. You know, your Miles Murphy should stand out one for that. You know, watch they'll, they'll be watching him very closely. Um, just you can give different looks and you can do different things. Let's move on to the next bit of news. And the Lions have signed linebacker Julian Stanford to practice squad. He last played for the Lions in 2013-2014. He's a 32-year-old core special teams player. There are a couple of murmurings that it could be some Malcolm Rodriguez backup because he did get injured in the previous game against the Bears. I really hope that he can go because Rodrigo is a big part of that linebacker core. And there's if there's one position group that needs to show up against the Packers, it's the linebackers. We can't have a repeat of what happened against Carolina because if that happens, the way that they run their offense right now, we're dead. And well, speaking of dead, is Board dead or is he out the team? Board's still on the team, isn't he? Board's here, yeah. So you kind of think he'd come in, but he just seems to have died a bit, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, Rodrigo will play through it. This is potentially one game left in the season. All of them will play like it's their last game, and they'll just power on through it. I don't, 
He might have a little bit of a knock. I mean, Akuda's got a knock as well. I, I imagine he'll play through it. So I, I just it's where you are. When you get to week 18, you're going to be battered and bruised, especially if you've played a lot this season. And Rodrigo's played basically a full season for the Lions in his first year here. So of course he's going to be battered and bruised, but I, I think he'll be fine. You, you always have cover, though. Never, never hurts to have a little bit of depth in, but I, I don't expect we'll see Stanford anytime soon. Yeah, uh, and final bit of news, which is also maybe about not seeing anyone anytime soon, but a bit of a weird bit of news. The Lions have designated cornerback Chase Lucas to return from injured reserve. That started yesterday, that's Wednesday, and it means he has 21 days to be activated or his season is done, much like happened to um, wide receiver Quintess Cephas. He didn't get activated, his season is done. Most players, when they get activated in this sense, the Lions have pretty much used the full 21 days. If the Lions use the full 21 days and then activate him, I think he's back for the championship games. So the Lions, I guess they're just assuming that the best case scenario might happen, in which case let's bring him back. I can't see any reason why you'd want to activate him this weekend, but I could be wrong, and I don't know. Is there a deadline for activations? Can you can you activate people during the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can activate people during the playoffs. That's no problem, yeah. Oh, I was just thinking if maybe there was a deadline for activations. But to be fair, if he's fit and ready to go, then, you know, cut him on it. Just do it, do it a game early. Get rid. Cut Will Harris. Just cut one of the guys who ain't going to be. In fact, well, I guess you don't need to cut him on because he's leaving for nothing anyhow, but... Yeah, just start your roster changing now if you need to. You give give him a chance, see if he can come in and if you, you know if we do get into the playoffs, you can use him then. But start start your roster building now if you can. There's just one game left to go. There are some guys on corner who are not going to be here next year, so bye-bye. Right, let's get into the game preview now. And the Packers, they're eight and eight. Their pro football reference expected wins is 8.1 and by football outsiders, it's 7.6. So they are about where they deserve to be. They've won their last four. They were four and eight. They won their last four at Chicago versus the Rams at the Dolphins and versus the Vikings. In this game, the Lions are nine to five. That's about plus 200 in American money. The Packers are nine to four on about minus 170. The Packers are four and a half point favorites, and the over under is 49 and a half. On the injury report so far this week, I've not actually seen an update today, but missing on Wednesday was Coyote Awashika the guard for the Lions, Jason Cabinda and Frank Ragnall. Limited was Evan Brown and Deshaun Elliott. Elliott being back even in a limited fashion is a big bit of news for the Lions. And Justin Jackson fully practiced with his hip problems. So that's also quite big given how good he's been in the return and run games this year in his entirety for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers did not practice on Wednesday, but there's not expected to be a problem there. Limited in practice, back to Yari, the tackle, Jenkins, the versatile offensive lineman, Aaron Jones, uh, Josh Nijman, and Kai Sean Nixon, the um, guy that everyone has to watch out for in the return game, the cornerback, in full practice, Chris Barnes and Rudy Ford. Uh, looking ahead 
then to the IR, in fact, situation for the Packers. They will be missing for this game Dean Lowry, the interior defensive lineman, the edge player Rashawn Gary, and nickelback Eric Stokes. Three quite big misses for that team, all on defense, even though that defense has been playing better in the last few weeks. And at a high level, I know we've played them not so long ago, but it is a different Packers team. I mean, Gary being their leading sack master, that's a big miss. And Stokes, their big draft pick from just a year ago. But this Packers team has improved in recent weeks, despite my thoughts that they may not be as good as some people think they are. Yeah, the defence has started coming to play. That's what it is. The defence was always going to be the strength of that team this season. They invested in the few positions they were weak in the off-season. You know, they finally got some help in the interior of that defensive line. They finally went in on linebacker. They went on corner again. And I think over the last few weeks, you've seen the defence really come to play. Even without Stokes in there, you've got Jair Alexander, you've got Rasul Douglas... You know, you've got some high-level guys. And and the defensive line, they've been getting pressures from all over. You know, Kenny Clark, Gary's been on there. Preston Smith's been one of the big ones. Kingsley and Igbari is starting to play really well now as well. And on the interior, you're getting pressure. You know, so it's a line that's working in unison together. There's, there's no... Oh, well, of course, Preston Smith is the standout guy on there. But you have to be equally aware of everybody. Everyone's got pass rushing upside and can make your day very difficult if you don't block very well. And then you go, you know, further back. They seem to have sorted the linebacker issues out. Quay Walker's starting to play better. They invested a first-round pick in him. Um, and then your secondary, I see you've got big playmakers in there. Jair is Jair. He's not been his greatest this year, but even on a not great year, he's still better than most of the cornerbacks in this league. So you, you've got to be really careful with it. It's safety where they've really struggled at this year. And that's like the that's like where you want to put the X marks the spot on this defense. That's where you really want to have a go at them. But no, they're good. They're getting turnovers. It doesn't really matter what teams they're against. You're still getting them 12 in the last four games. You're averaging three takeaways a game, which means your offense, which is average, and it is an average offense. It's not as good as ours. The more possessions you give it, the more chances they're going to have to put points on the board. And, and that's what they've been doing. I think that's kind of been the recipe for them winning games is just getting the takeovers and giving Rogers and co more attempts to get there because they're not as lethal as they usually are. So for the Lions, it's, keep doing what you've been doing. We've been excellent with our ball security, completely and utterly dominant when it comes to that. There's just the one muffed snap, and that's really been it. So if you carry that on this week, you severely limit their chances of winning because the offense ain't going to get all the drives that it's used to been having recently during its winning streak. Looking at their team right now, as per ESPN on their depth chart, this is how they start. Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, Aaron Jones backed up by A.J. Dillon. The wide receivers, Lazard, Watson and Dobbs backed up by Cobb and Torre. Tight end is Robert Tonyan, but don't forget Mercedes Lewis and Josiah DeGuara, who've both had big parts to play this season. The front five, Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon and Nijman have been up and down, I would say. They've really come into their own in recent weeks, which has also been a bit of a difference because that Packers offensive line has been fearsome for years. And I think it was a bit of a surprise that they 
struggled to start the year and they were a bit banged up, but they've gotten a bit healthier. Bakhtiari is playing, which is healthy for him, I guess. So that offense is starting to get there on defense. It's Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark and Jaron Reed as a front three. The outside two are Preston Smith and Kingsley and Igbare. Middle two linebackers, Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. Then the back four of Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage and Razul Douglas. Some good backups in there too. Isaiah McDuffie is in there. Rudy Ford, Keyshawn Nixon, as I've mentioned before, ready. And then the special teamers, Mason Crosby. He's still there. That's the best I can say about him. And Pat O'Donnell is the punter. And... It's a team that was well regarded on paper coming into the year. People were hopeful that this offense could do something this year and that the defense was going to be the star. It didn't work out for them early, but like you've been saying, it's kind of come together a bit towards the end. Well, they've been dealing with injuries. So you've had Bakhtiari missing for a lot of the season. You know, Elton Jenkins has been injured as well. You've had a few other guys. You've been moving a lot of guys around that line. Now, in previous years, it's not really seemed to bother them as much, but when your receiver core's not as good and Aaron Rodgers is taking a bit longer to throw the ball because he's getting acclimatised to the new guys, you know, your pass pro's got to hold up longer and it's not been... I think that's where one of the really big issues has been for them, but they're getting healthier now. The young guys are getting confidence. Christian Watson's just on a great run of form. Romeo Dowds has been making clutch catches all season, really. You've got the young guys playing better. The run game they've got going as well. I know, as I watch a few Packers guys, and at the start of the season, they were just like, why are we not giving Aaron Jones the ball? They're not giving him, they're not running it. They're trying to pass it a lot more. But in recent weeks, they've got it back to normal. Jones and Dylan are a formidable backfield. They really are between the pair of them. Aaron Jones runs outside the tackles better than anybody. AJ Dillon plows to everybody. Quadzilla, Eugene just kept guys with him. That's how good he is. And that just sort of eases up things on the passing game and gives more time for Rogers, puts him in better situations. It's a mixture of health, a mixture of health and the rookies sort of starting to get on the same page there. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers as much as we like to take the mick out of him. He's still an incredibly good player who can make things happen out of nothing. So you've still got to be careful with this team. You know, it's lives and dies on its run game. If you stop that happening, you've seen what happens. Aaron starts getting Marty. The receivers can't pick up all the slack and you can cause them issues. But you've still got to respect them. You do. You do. And I'm going to come straight on to one player in particular on their offense in just a second. Their overall stats go like this, though. 82.2 overall grade per PFF is 10th in the NFL. Offense, 77 is 12th. And 67.7 on defense is 21st. By Football Outsiders, quite similar metrics. 4.8% overall is 12th. 7.6% on offense is 11th. 2.4% on defense is 18th and minus 0.5% on special teams is 17th. Now, here's a guy I want to talk about and it is Aaron Rodgers because it's quite interesting. Aaron Rodgers' stats. He has, let me just double check. I'm going to get this right. Uh, 13 picks. 333 completions on 555 attempts. That's uh 64.7 percent 
He has 3,490 yards, 25 touchdowns, 11 picks, passer rating 91.5, QBR of 39.6, and a PFF grade of 78.7. Now, let's pick up that passer rating. Let's pick up those number of completions as well. In terms of number of completions, he has not had... Where's my stats gone? I had it right in front of me. Um, I've completely lost it because I'm on the bloody years instead of this year. Here we go. He has not had more than 27 completions in a game this season. He has not had more than 24 completions since week six. He has not passed 291 passing yards in a game this season. He has the lowest passer rating uh, in the last 15 years as a quarterback. His passer rating this year is 91.5. His lowest in that stretch previously, 93.8 in 2008. So this is the worst year by passer rating he's had since he was in his second year in the league. And in his second year in the league, he had six completions. He wasn't a starter. So this is the worst year of his career by passer rating as a starter. And now this is a run first team, and I'll come on to that. But Rogers dealing with that thumb injury is not the same guy. Now, you see him in the pocket, and he reads the defenses much like he always has. But you see the number of picks this year, 11. That is as many as he's had in the last two and a half seasons combined. Like, it's not the same guy. And yet they're still on the verge of the playoffs. That's kind of the caliber that you're dealing with, though. And let's not forget, statistically, the last time he had such a bad year, they won the Super Bowl. You know, it was, it's almost a perfect storm, really. But that's just how high a level he's been over the years. He's statistically having one of his worst years in forever. And yet they're still 500. They're still at home with a chance to go to the playoffs. You know, that's, you know, we're only just starting to reach these heights. This is a low for them. That's the difference between these two teams, where they're coming from and where they're potentially going. But the thing is, he's been here and done it before. He works in high-pressure situations, at least in the regular season. And he's he's going to be dangerous in this one. He is, you know, four wins in a row. Playoffs are on the line. It's a chance you know, people are always going to doubt him. He loves to prove people wrong. You can't underestimate what he'll do. Um, but the trouble is he's got a good run game to go with him and he might not have to be so dangerous this time. But, I mean, he came into this season with almost an entire rookie wide receiver core. You've got Lazard in there and you've got Tonyan in there. And outside of that, there's not really much else. So <clears throat> I think extenuating circumstances kind of explain why it's down. I'm not sure... He's declining, but I'm not sure it's as big as the stats would indicate. I, I really think it's down to his thumb. I think he'll come back next year and be the exact guy that we think he is. I don't think this is part of any long-term decline on his part. But you see him not practicing on a Wednesday. You see him not practicing sometimes on a Thursday. And that's to manage his throwing hands. You know, it has been hampering him and you have a look at what happened in this most recent game there's a couple of throws of zip in there but sometimes some of them lack power they're a bit wobbly it's not what you see from rogers most of the time and no. so when it comes to keys to the game and we'll get it on there uh, later it's put it on him 
if you can put the game on Rogers, I'm not I'm not sure. If if they're down two scores and he needs to pass for it, I'm not backing him. No, I deliberately rough him up a bit, like you did with Fields. Well, I do that I anyway. Would, I do that yeah. anyway. <laughs> no, I would anyhow, but I, I I'd rough him up, even if it meant risking risking a penalty on him. I, I would I would hit him a few times and make him uncomfortable so that he can't make those throws. But you've got to get in a position to put it on him first. You've got you you know stopping the runs the big thing here, and we couldn't do that against the Panthers. And Donald just had the you know quietest day at the office that he'll ever have in his life. So you, you've got to be disciplined against the run first and put yourself in a position where you can. Because we've got very specialist pass rushers. You know, we want Houston in the game nice and early because they're on third and longs, etc. And we can send him after them. Because the way Rogers moves, Houston will be at him in a one and a half seconds. He'll not have time to pass the ball fast. So, yeah, there's, there's an opportunity. You're never going to get a better opportunity than this, I feel, with the Packers. Um, and like I said with the Bears last week, you are never going to get a better opportunity to drop the hammer on them because of where they're at. You've got to do it while you've got the opportunity we need to do this now because if the Packers go into the offseason, they get in some veteran wide receivers, they fix a few of these holes on this team, they could very well be a high-level team again pretty quickly. And, you know, you, you need to you need to take advantage when they're down. You, you've got to – because if they beat us now and they get stronger in the offseason and Chicago goes away, invests all that money in its team and the Vikings, you know, move on from Cousins or whatever, they're still a 12-win team – you can very quickly find yourself at the bottom of the pecking order again. So this is a fight for dominance. You've got to show the Packers that you're below us now. We're going to sweep you this year. You're not making the playoffs. We are. You're below us. And then it's up on us to keep those standards high, to keep in front of them. It gives us an objective to work towards. I say, if you lose now and you just go back down, you can very well slip into your old bad habits of just been a bad team in this league and others walking all over you. You really can. Let's have a look at the rest of the players from this offense. Running back Aaron Jones leads the way still. 201 carries, 1,073 yards, 5.3 yards per carry and two touchdowns on the ground. 56 of 68 in the air, 375 yards, five touchdowns, PFF grade overall of 86.8. He's been an absolute beast this year, but he's been backed up by an equally big one. In fact, he's probably a bigger beast, if not the PFF grade. AJ Dillon, the running back, 177 carries, 737 yards, 4.2 yards per carry, but worth mentioning that he takes the ball in bruiser situations. So the fact that he's getting 4.2 is not to be sniffed at. He's been terrific. Seven he's... touchdowns on the year, 28 to 40 in the passing game as well, 206, no touchdowns there, but a grade of 81.2. This is an elite running back duo, ladies and gents. I heard from our Carolina guest. Uh, a few weeks ago, that they thought that AJ Dillon had been an abject failure in Green Bay. And up to this season, I would have agreed with him. But this year has been a real breakout for Dillon, man. Yeah, but he's been stuck behind Aaron Jones on the roster. It's not exactly a great place to be in. And the kind of running back that he is, he's very different to Aaron Jones. AJ Dillon is Jamal Williams. He is the guy who gets you the dirty yards. He might not flash with all the touchdowns and, you know, the big fancy 80-yard runs or whatever like that. But what he does do very well in clutch situations, he will get you those three, four, five yards that you need to get your fresh set of downs. He'll, in a goal line situation, he'll get you over the line. It just does the hard nitty-gritty dirty work while Aaron Jones is the, the flashy superstar. 
kind of like Swift and Williams in a way. One of them's flashy, one of them's gritty. So they've, they've got sort of a similar dynamic to what we have. And we've seen how dangerous our duo are when they're on form. And this is what you get with them. You've, it's so hard to defend against, especially when you've got them in. Like I say, Aaron Jones loves to go outside the tackles. You've got to maintain gap edge discipline within there. Maintain your, maintain your edge. With Dylan, you've got to fortify your center, and you've really got to put the effort in to stop him. So this is this is why it's critical. I think teams have figured a way to do it this year. That offensive line, like I say, it's been banged up. So it's given teams opportunity to put more pressure on them. Because when it's fully healthy, it's a damn good offensive line, which can allow them to run the ball. And as far as I'm aware at the minute, they are pretty healthy. So you've got a big job on your hands with these two. They are both elite running backs. They have certainly not been failures. AJ Dillon has not been a failure. He does exactly what he needs to in that team. That's why they got him. He does his job well. And you've you've got to work really hard to keep him quiet. Wide receiver rooms headed by Alan Lazard, Mr. Dependable in that room. 56 of 94, 747. That's 13.3 yards per catch. Five touchdowns and a PFF grade 69.1. The breakout star is Christian Watson. He started out very slow. Looked like he could be a first-year bust. My God, has he come on strong. Uh, I want to check my stats because I'm not even sure I believe that that's right myself. Give me give me just two seconds to check that. Um, right. Christian Watson, five carries for 68 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Got to watch out for that. 36 receptions for uh, on 60 uh, attempts, 14.1 yards per catch, 507 yards and seven touchdowns. He's been a beast down the stretch also good grades in there we've got um the tackle back tiari i mentioned 82.1 elton jenkins 73.8 some of the worst grades in there there's only one guy on offense to mention and it's someone you may not expect because aaron Rodgers continues to make him look like a star when he's an abjectly average player of course that means he'll score a touchdown against the lions i know that we all know that and that's because he's a tight end Robert Tonyan, 57.1. Lions don't cover tight ends. Uh, Efficiency-wise on this offense, they're okay. 75 on 188 on third down, 39.9% is 17th. On fourth down, 11 of 29, uh, 37.9% is 29th. In the red zone, 27 touchdowns on 52 trips. That's 51.9%, and that's only 22nd. I've put 22th. That is bad grammar. Um, this all-round offense has kind of come on, and I think that the catalyst for that and was Christian Watson. He started to do things, and suddenly you didn't just have to account for one guy in the passing game, and that started to open up the run. It was the start of all of it for me. Well, Daub started it off before he got injured. He was the guy who Aaron Rodgers was going to, and then he just got in a rhythm with him. He gets injured, so he's back to square one again. But yeah, Watson is the the big guy there, and he was always going to take time. All those people who said he was going to be a first-round bust, etc., it's like, you don't understand where he's come from. They got him from North Dakota State. He's been playing in the FCS. He's not even been playing against the best college football opposition. He's been in the second division in there. They got him for his traits, you know, his size, his speed, you know, his game-changing ability, but he was miles away from being the finished product. And it was always going to take him time to get in. And it seems with the Packers, it took time to adjust. 
because of the situation with them having no receivers, they kind of had to force him into the team early. He had drop issues in college. You saw it, you know, early on in his Packers career. You know, they should have, when they picked him, it should have been a sort of, you keep him for half a season on the sidelines and then start to introduce him into it. He's had a trial by fire. He's had his baptism by fire, but then he had his big game. And since then, you've seen the potential talent that he has. And the scary thing is he is only going to get better. That's what the Packers bet on. They bet that that raw talent he had, despite being in the second level of college football, would translate into the NFL. And and it is. His size is a nightmare. His speed is a nightmare to deal with. You know, it it's just such a tricky mismatch. You know, he will rinse a lot of corners on his height alone. Then you add the speed into it, you the big game playability. And you've seen in recent weeks just how good he's been. He's still raw at this moment in time. I still think there's the opportunity to take advantage of that. I still think he's not the finished product, far from it. So he will still have really bad games. It's up to us to ensure that we keep coverage tight on him. We don't give him anything easy. We sort of knock his confidence a bit and then he's not anywhere near the player he is when his confidence goes. And, and you can see that. He's a, at the minute, he's a rookie who's a confidence player. And you know, a lot of rookies are. So get at him early, keep him out of the game, knock his confidence, and then you take him out of it. Moving on to this defense, I listed them already. They're led in tackling by that draft pick we mentioned earlier who's come on strong down the stretch, linebacker. Quay Walker. Seven passes defended, three forced fumbles and a fumble recovery, one and a half sacks, 114 tackles, 68 solo, five tackles for loss, four quarterback hits, PFF grade of 53.8. Worth mentioning that PFF grade has come up significantly since early on in the season. Outside linebacker Preston Smith is the leading sack master after Rashawn Gary has gone out. One pass defended and a forced fumble, eight and a half sacks, 58 tackles, set, 37 of which solo, nine tackles for loss, 20 quarterback hits and a PFF grade of 68. Cornerback Jair Alexander is the leading interceptor. Five interceptions, 14 passes defended, 53 tackles, 41 solo, four tackles lost, and a PFF grade of 79.2. Other good grades in there. The other cornerback, Rasul Douglas, 73.2. And the star linebacker re-signed in the offseason. We thought he'd go away, but he's come back to haunt teams. Devondre Campbell, 71.2. And Kenny Clark in the interior is always a beast, 64.6. Worst grades in there? You mentioned it. The safeties, Darnell Savage, 47.4, Adrian Amos, 55.2. There's your weak link. There's the target. Efficiency-wise, this defense has been good, and it's been good all year. It's just been that they've been torched early on, and that they've come on strong down the stretch. On third down, they only allow conversions on 69 of 182 attempts. That's 37.9%. That's eighth in the NFL. Fourth down, they don't face many attempts. 9 of 17 is 52.9% and 18th in the NFL. And in the red zone, they've allowed 27 touchdowns on 49 trips. 55.1% is 15. Other stats for this team on special teams, Davion Nixon, he's returned seven punts for 102 yards and 31 kicks for 930 yards and a touchdown. That is a very round number of 30 yards per return. He is the leading special teams returner in the NFL. Other things to note on this team, the Packers Packers blitz 34.8% of the time, which is an incredibly high number. 
Jared Goff versus the Blitz. His rating is 105.1 with 15 touchdowns and four interceptions. Jared Goff's passer rating is higher against the Blitz than it is against the normal base defense and the Packers blitz over a third of the time. Rogers also, as I mentioned earlier, doesn't have more than 240 passes, uh, 240 yards passing in their recent winning stretch. And this defense, we said it's come to play, but this, the, def- uh, the, the difference has been stark. They're doing it from everywhere. Their defensive line is getting pushed. It's starting to dominate. Their cornerbacks are giving absolutely nothing away and being super physical. And they're masking how bad those safeties have played because it doesn't look like it's an issue anymore, really. No, and then that's the thing. They've sort of done it well over the years when they had no linebackers for years. I know it would get exposed in the playoffs, but during the regular season, like you say, with the blitz they have, with the pressure they put you under, bring the corners up a little bit, sort of mask the problem there. And again, with the safeties, it's difficult because now that the linebackers are better, they can sort of drop, help the safeties out. The corners you can leave on an island on their own, they're fine. So again, yeah, you don't really see the issues. And it's tough the teams to send the ball far downfield. Like I say, when they're blitzing all the time, quarterbacks can't hold on for it long enough to sort of target that safety area and, and take full advantage of it. So it's it's going to be difficult this weekend, um, but they just happen to be coming up against the best part of our team. You know, it's going to be such a, you know, we'll talk about the matchups later, but they're going to come up against our offensive line. It's going to be big on them this week. I think you've got to negate the blitz in this one and, I never, ever in a million years thought you would ever hear me saying this one. But I think this is where you start to bring out the screens when you are against the Blitz. There was the play I'm thinking of, the one that Georgia used at the weekend on Ohio State. So Ohio State would Blitz instead of Bennett, something chronic. They threw a screen out to Kenny McIntosh for his first touchdown. And basically, they just let all the linemen through sent the left tackle, left guard, centre, all down the field. Bennett had it out his hand in a second to McIntosh. He ran like he ran through the Ohio State defence like it was a hot knife through butter because he had three linemen blocking downfield for him and the D-line had basically sold out. So if you're going to blitz all the time, we'll get our quick plays out and we'll send our linemen downfield and we'll burn you that way because Jair Alexander might be good but when he's got Penny Saul bearing down on him one-on-one, trying to tackle him, only one guy's winning that, and it ain't Jair. So I think blitzing's one thing, but there are ways to get around it. And there's one thing that we do well. We have very athletically gifted offensive linemen who can get to the second level quickly. So there are ways to negate this. Um, and I fully expect the Lions to start bringing some of those out the bag. I expect Gaff to get out really quickly. I expect us to get the lineman downfield blocking. I expect screens to take a precedent here. And I never thought of God thought I'd ever say that. Yeah, it's true. I, I think it's it's a very attacking defense. But we have come up against other blitzing teams before. And actually, I've been really impressed by this offensive line when it comes up against that. One of the reasons why Goff is doing so well against the Blitz this year isn't just because of what Goff's doing. Our offensive line has been absolutely fantastic when facing five rushes or more. They've bought Goff time in the pocket. And when Goff is facing a limited number of DBs and all the wide receivers at his disposal with the timing he's got with them, he's been surgically picking them off. And so... I got to place faith in my offensive line to deal with that. And if you can, then the world's your oyster in this game. I mean, 
part of me, I don't know how this game's going to go, and part of me wants to say you run it down their throat because they don't much care about the run game, and actually, you know, that's going to be a way to win it is by winning time of possession. But I don't care about Rodgers, really, in this game, and I, I don't really care about our run game in this. I think if you can surgically pick him off in the passing game, I think it's going to set him back massively. I think this is a game, strangely, where you have to run to throw to set up the run and not the other way around because they're going to be expecting that. They're going to be expecting us to try and run it down their throat. And so they're going to come with a lot of pressure up the middle. And so I think you're right. I think think that sort of running back screen, tight end screen, quick pass game is going to work really, really well here. Yeah, I think that's what you have to do because when they're sending the house... You know, that's the risk you do when you're blitzing. And we are able to get the ball out quick. And as I say, we have the offensive linemen to reach the perimeter quickly to give you running backs chance to be able to get out there and make plays. And don't forget, you've got such good use of motion in our backfield now. You've got Amon Ra, you've got Jameson, you know, there's... I don't think they can afford to blitz against us. I mean, let's look at the teams they've come up against in this run recently. The Bears... That offense is one-dimensional. You know, the Dolphins, Dolphins is a good offensive venison. and they didn't give up some points to them, but Tua was concussed, which always, you know, that doesn't... He threw three picks on the day. He did not look well at all. I think you've got to put some of that down today. You've got the Rams, who've got nobody or nothing, and then you've got the Vikings, who've got Kirk Cousins, who threw more passes to Packers players than Aaron Rodgers did. I don't think they've come up against an offense this versatile in a while. So I think that they're going to have to they're going to have to can the blitz in a little bit. Um, otherwise, I just think they're going to get burned. We'll just motion it out wide. We'll just take that D line out of the equation and we'll just set up one on ones against the corners. And if you can get into the safeties who've just been poor as hell, you've got the potential for big play ability there. And I trust my offensive line to do it. Um, again, what you've invested in it. This is why you've invested so much in your O line for games like this. And this is why this is such a big game for me, because if it doesn't play well in this game, I'm going to start questioning my investment in there. Despite them all playing well in that, you've got to have results in big games. This has got to pay off at some point. You can't just keep waiting for it to pay off. So I fancy our chances in this. I I, I really do. Just because, like I say, we have the offense to make them sit back. I don't think they're just going to be able to sit and blitz us at will. Just a little bit of news I want to bring from Jamal Williams before I talk about the Minnesota Packers game from this past weekend. Kyle Monkey's been talking to him in the press conferences and he asked Jamal Williams whether he wants to come back next season. He replied, you said, do I want to come back? Hmm, let me think about it. Spent two years here doing great. Do I want to come back? Do I want to come back to more blessings? Let me think about that. That's your answer. He went on to say he doesn't understand the streetlights in Detroit, but otherwise loves it here and wants to return. When asked if those conversations have begun to occur with Brad Holmes, he said, who's that? <laughs> I love him so much. Like, I want him back so much. We'll get on to that after the season's done, but clearly those conversations are happening and he's really enjoying his time, which is good to hear. Vikings-Packers happened this past weekend, just gone 17-41. It ended up with much of those uh, Vikings touchdowns came in garbage time. I think the Packers were at 41-3. to before dropping four team late. Fucking awful game. It was an awful game. And the Vikings scored the first three points of the game too. So the Packers scored 41 straight points on them, which is ridiculous. Looking at this defense for the Packers, 
I know I said before that they don't much care about defending the run, but in this game, it was not the same. And, you know, when you got Dalvin Cook on the other side, you better be strong against the run. They were stout up the middle, really helped them. So they suffered a blocked punt early on in the game, which was down at the one-yard line. And they held out much, you know, very impressively, and it really helped because they were stout up the middle. It really helped in that goal line set. The secondary and the linebackers were stingy pretty much all day, even with the ones they gave up. It was close coverage. They battled hard at the catch point. They are aggressive, but not overly so, except for the one penalty they had. Quay Walker did suffer an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for throwing someone to the ground. It might have been... um Oh, the receiver who beat us for the Vikings, who's their fourth target, and I can't remember his name, but never mind, it doesn't matter. Um, Their defensive line held up very, very well against their admittedly poor Minnesota offensive line. Their offense, it's very much run first, and you'll see a lot of Rodgers in shotgun handing it off. It's just a feature of this offense. The inside handoff is a massive part of it. Counters out of that two are a big part. Aaron's not being asked to do much at all. He looks mobile in the pocket and his passes are on time and he's reading the defense as well. Offensive line was dominant in the second quarter. They had good tractional game in the run game, but in that second quarter, they really took over. They pretty much didn't throw a ball at all in one drive that ended up getting into the end zone. And it gives Rogers plenty of the time in the pocket when he does come to throw. So you've got to shut down that run. And Rogers is always a beast. We know it when it comes to 12 men on the field. Do not substitute if they do not substitute because he will get you on special teams. Crosby on kickoffs is going to give Detroit a chance to return the ball. Look to Khalif Raymond and Justin Jackson to make big returns in this one. The pump block I mentioned earlier, it was just a whiff on protection. And we know historically over the past few years, the Packers have problems on special teams generally. So look for the Lions to really put some pressure on Pat O'Donnell because that really could be a point where we could turn the game. You've got to worry for about that returner because Davion Nixon, he had a 105-yard return in this one and just a couple of shuffles and he was away. Good blocking by the Packers for that touchdown. He wasn't... I mean, they didn't even really get very near him. All he had to do was beat the actual kickoff man and, and he was away. Um... And any thoughts about the game last week against Minnesota? I know that it was really, really bad for the Vikings, but early on with the punt block, it seemed like the Vikings were going to have some traction and it, it just melted away very quickly. They threw in the flag when they didn't get that. I think they're just down tools. They know they're in the postseason. I don't think they're playing very hard at the minute. And that's why, for me, it's very tough to take away anything legitimate from games like this. It was like ours with the Bears in the second half. It was like we were really good, but both sides of the ball on their side had given up. And it's like, you ain't going to face that every week. And I got the same vibe with the Packers. Yeah, they, their offense looked really good. They're against the defense that don't care. The defense looked strong. That offense really didn't give a damn. Kirk Cousins, like I said, threw more passes to Aaron Rodgers' own players than he did. It was... It was an awful game, and I didn't come away with any different opinion of Green Bay because of it, just because it was such a blowout. I just, it, that's just me. I know some people sometimes can see things in this, but I think when your opposition ain't playing strong, you're not seeing the best from your opponent. I, I didn't see the best from Green Bay last week because they didn't need to be, because their opponent just didn't, didn't give a damn. Minnesota should be ashamed of themselves. I mean, what are they now, 28th in DVOA? 
and they are a 12-win team going to the playoffs. And <laughs> there's only four teams in the National Football League who've got a worse DVOA than them. That's just how lucky slash fraudulent they've been. It's they're the most undeserving playoff team of all time. And I don't think that's a stretch to say. No, and it's not like they're a 10-win team. They've got 12. Like, when you get blown out by good teams and marginally win against the worst teams on your schedule, it says a heck of a lot. I actually, of course it does, because you've now given Green Bay the chance to get in the playoffs. You might well play Green Bay in the first round of the playoffs. What is going to happen... And no, I'm speaking hypothetically here to put a point across. Yeah. Hypothetically, if Green Bay got into the playoffs and played the Vikings first up and beat the Vikings, what have the Vikings achieved this season? Nothing. They've won an NFC North title, but at the end of the day, they're still below the Packers in the power rankings. The Packers took them out when it mattered. As a 12-win team with a shoddy Packers team on your doorstep, no, not on your doorstep, but you're playing a shy Packers team to just lay down and roll over is embarrassing. You should be dropping the hammer on them, asserting the new world order. It's your dominant, it's your period for dominance now. We're a 12-win team. We're still going to kick your ass, and that's how it's going to be. Whereas they just rolled over and had their belly tickled, and now they could potentially end up you know, further behind in the draft, they could still not go as far this season. And that NFC North title ain't going to count for anything. You know, it's why the Lions have to win so badly this weekend. At some point, the script has to flip. You have to assert your dominance over this Packers team. You have to be better than them because you may not get another chance like this ever, at least under Dan Campbell's tenure. You might not get a better chance to beat them. So at some point, you have to set the tone and for the Vikings to just let go like that, there's no excuse for that. No, we're in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. Screw that. You should be wanting to absolutely destroy the Packers, just like I want us to absolutely destroy the Packers. We gain nothing from losing to them, them going to the playoffs, and us finishing behind them yet again. That's still a busted season. It's still not good enough. So, yeah. Uh, I, I want even, even if there's nothing for us to play for, even if the eight seed doesn't happen, the potential eight seed, even if the Seahawks win, I still want us to go there and show that we're better than Green Bay. I still want us to win to assert that dominance over them because otherwise anything else is a bad season in terms of superseding them in the power rankings, in the structure of things. No bigger opportunity, really. Let's go on to key parts about this game. And I think we've kind of covered all of it already, but I mean, painting a picture of how this game is going to be won, I really see it being won for the Lions on offense through the passing game. It is where their strength has lied in the last eight to 10 weeks. The running game has come in fits and bursts. When the run game is good, it's been dominant. But when it's been bad, it's been really bad. What has been constant is being surgical with the ball. And the offensive line is the very start of it. Hold up against Kenny Clark. Hold up against Preston Smith. This team really can go places. I want to see Brock Wright and Shane Zilstra involved in this game early because I think that they're going to be underrated pieces that the other side will overlook and I think you can really do some good things for them. Look for trick plays. The Lions are going to pull them out. I'm certain of it. On defense, I want to see us shutting down Aaron Jones. If Aaron Rodgers beats us, he beats us. 
It's going to be horrible, but I don't care. If Aaron Jones beats you with his legs, you haven't given yourself a chance to win when Aaron Rodgers has a broken finger. Shut down that run game and say to Rodgers, go on then, your turn. And what do you see from this game? There's one thing that critically needs to happen more than anything for us to win this game. Scott Daly's got to snap the ball well. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I just, I just, I, I had to, I apologise. I'll, I'll go No, but you now. say that, you say that, and Greg Joseph missed two kicks last week, and that hurt the momentum no end. So, I don't think you're wrong. No, what... For me, this isn't this isn't like a positional battle thing this week. It's not our O-line's got a best there, D-line, whatever. What has to happen this weekend is every single man on that 53-man roster has to show up and have the game of his life. Everyone from quarterback to long snapper has to come and play like this is their last game in the NFL and they'll never get to play again if they lose. Because... If your offense shows up and your defense doesn't, we've seen what happens against Seattle. It doesn't work. You can put up all the points in the world, but we give up too many too quickly to be able to maintain. If your offense doesn't show up, our defense can't keep a game close enough to be able to make up for that. You know, we've been blown out several times where we've scored very few points. You know, special teams is generally always very good, but all three disciplines have to come together to help one another. If we get a takeaway, the offense has got to convert. Likewise, you know, if the defense has a drive where they get mauled and they put points on the board, the offense needs to come out and respond and put it behind them. Special teams has to play out its mind. Jack Fox put them in awful field positions, give the defense a chance to be able to do it. We saw it against, was it the Jags, I think I said, it, it was after the Giants one. It was the Jags one, which was the most complete performance I think I've ever seen from all three disciplines of the ball. Because guys at all three levels of the defense were making plays. You know, the edge guys were getting sacks. The linebackers were run blocking. The corners and the safeties were getting interceptions, all helping one another, all making plays. And then the offense came out, put points down on the board, and they were relentless they just kept their foot down. They just kept going. Special teams, every time they did get a sniff, Jack Fox had punt it into the in you know twilight zone and they'd get nowhere near us. Everyone has to turn up and play this week. This is not a single positional battle. This is just which team wants it more, which players want it more. And whichever team has the greater number of players who want this and are playing better on the day is going to win. So for me, it's just straight up. This is about desire, not positional battles. It's how much do you want it and how much you're willing to give up to get it. You've got to give 200% in this and anything less and the Packers will beat us because they are a lot more accustomed to winning in high-pressure situations with meaningful football on the line than we are. This is simply a situation we've not been in and we cannot afford to be lax, otherwise they'll punish us. It's all about discipline too. It starts right, you know, yesterday when they got back to practice. This Packers team is not the most complicated team in the world. It doesn't run a huge variety of things. It does what it does, and it does it very well. And it does use some misdirection in there. You must be disciplined. And that starts from study, and it starts right now. 
that gives you the intuition that you've got to use in the game. Now, whether you follow that or not, and whether you actually are able to impact the game as a result of that, I don't know. But the guys have got to be going in every day and being in that in Allen Park or at Ford Field, studying hard, grinding hard. Because when it comes to that game, they're not going to be able to hear themselves think. They've got to know what everyone else is thinking. Goff has got to be able to communicate without talking because you won't be able to hear him think. Lambeau Field will believe that those Packers can get to the playoffs. They expect it, and they will be a 12th and a 13th man on the field. And Goff and all of those receivers are on the same page as each other right now, apart from JMO, and I believe he could be the chess piece. But You've oh. got to be on the same page. You've got to know what each other's thinking before you even think it. And you've got to understand the repercussions of this. If you lose, all you are going to hear all summer, all spring, all until the start of next season, is you're the same old Lions who aren't good enough. That is all you are going to hear from the detractors, from the media who've already written us off, from all the talking heads who've already written us off. This is your pride on the line here. You came here to change what was happening in Detroit. You came to wash away the moniker of failure and the stench that comes with it. This is your opportunity, and it doesn't matter how soon you are into your footballing career, how much of a rookie you are, whatever. This is where you have to play, and this is where you have to prove people wrong. The prizes here are unimaginable in terms of what it will do for the confidence of the team, the belief of the players, the development of this team. I mean, even if you go into the playoffs and you lose first up, second year, us get into the playoffs, no one thought it possible. Very few people, apart from the same old Lions crowd that will ask for a head after two years if you don't get a Super Bowl. You know, outside of that, no one was expecting it. So there's no shame if you get to the playoffs and you're just not quite ready to deal with the big boys yet. But if you can make it, it just it sends you it takes a year off your rebuild, I feel. It really does, just because of the confidence it gives to your rookies. Players will want to come and play here. Vets will want to come here. They will want to be a part of this talented team that has been built. So yeah, this is not just, you know, this is about your image, your respect. Go out and get it. Make the world respect you. That's it. The Lions have been and I've been uncomfortable with it up until the end of last week. It's been the Lions that everyone has been saying, this team is no someone no one wants to face when it comes to the postseason. Because everyone assumed that the Packers were out of it and we were the team in form. We're still the team in form, but now the Packers have come into it. They've taken over the mantle of being that team. Everyone expects the Packers to win this game. Everyone. The shockwaves that will reverberate around the NFL if the Lions pull it out on the road will be monumental. Whoever wins this game, if they get the seven seed, will not have a home game in the playoffs. There is no bigger statement than going into one of the hardest places in the league to go to as an away team and win. Whoever wins this game, if they get the seven seed, is likely to face San Francisco in the two seed and Brock Purdy in that offense. One of the best teams in the NFL, especially on the NFC side of things, maybe the, the best, best team, NFC team. The best NFC team. It's still a team with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Now he's doing well. Just imagine 
that he decides to have a meltdown in his first playoff game as a starting quarterback. Who could blame him after what's happened so far to him this year? That seven seed is not worthless. You win that game and you get to face potentially the Vikings next up because they'll be going to face the Giants in Minnesota. Now, I know Saquon against that Vikings team might be a bit of a mismatch, but the good bit about that Vikings team is their run defense. It's the pass defense, which is bad. And guess what the Giants aren't good at? It'll that Vikings... Yeah, but the Vikings, playoff game of a lot of them. It'll it be will be an ugly game. But, but if... So, as the seven seed, you face a two seed. You face San Francisco. If you can get through that, you'll be facing the Vikings in the divisional round to go to the NFC Championship game. That's what's on the line here, people. Have the Eagles wrapped up that... one seed? Sorry? Have the Eagles wrapped up one seed? No, no. San Francisco can nick it from them. So can Dallas. But Eagles have to lose. And San Francisco or Dallas have to win in that result. I, th- I think the Eagles will sew it up. Oh, I'd love to face Dallas. Get revenge. I don't know whether Dallas can get the two. If 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 Eagles lose and Dallas and San Francisco win, they all end up on 13. Dallas win the division, so Eagles are out of it. Who wins out of San Francisco and Dallas? I don't know. Have they played one another? Let me... Go to Tankathon. Tankathon will tell you the strength of schedule. It won't be about strength of schedule as the qualifier, though, if it's if the head-to-head's involved. Hang on. I don't Let's... think they've played one another. I feel like they haven't. Dallas against... San Francisco. They have not played each other. So, but Tankathon. Oh, it depends whether that. So the next qualifier might be might be conference wins. Is it conference record? I, th- I think it's conference record afterwards. Otherwise, what's the point in conference record as a thing? Because you're never going to have an equal strength of schedule. No. Um. Right. NFL standings. Let's... I feel like that would favour the the Forty Niners. Have the Cowboys not lost more games? The 49ers, I think, have swept the Rams. The 49ers, oh, that doesn't have conferences. Ah, (laughs) um, Sorry, folks. (laughs) I feel like the 49ers would have the better conference record out of the two of them. In conference, Dallas and Philly are eight and three, San Francisco are nine and two. Well, that's not in conference. That is in conference. You can't go nine and two in conference. Oh, you mean NFC, AFC? I thought yeah, you yeah, yeah. Division. Sorry. Well, because they're not in the same conference, it has to be down. Yeah. So if Philly lose, Dallas win, Dallas get the NFC East title. But San Francisco, if they win, they'll both be 13 and four. And San Francisco would have 10 conference wins to Dallas's nine. So San Francisco would be the one, Dallas would be the two. But then if San Francisco lose, they'll both have nine conference wins. Yeah, but if San Francisco lose, they can't match Philly's 13 wins. Talking in our feathers. Yeah, so it, it San Francisco are either going to end up being the one or two. Unless they lose and the Vikings win. Ugh, that's not... well. So Vikings will win. They're playing the Bears. So San Francisco have to win. Um, but they're playing Arizona, so... Yeah. It's I get your point, things. though. There's an opportunity in the playoffs, if you get there, to have not an easy run, but it's, oh, a more favourable run. 
San Francisco are the hardest team in the NFC to play right now, but they are not without weakness, and the weakness is at the most important position. No matter how well Brock Purdy has played, he was Mr. Irrelevant for a reason. Make him uncomfortable. It's the most quarterback-friendly team in the league. But if the Lions go to the postseason, do not count them out for a run. Just don't, because they can really do this. And can I just eulogize the 2022 Detroit Lions for a minute? Go ahead, I will... So, we came into this season full of hope. This schedule is the third weakest in the NFL. The Lions should do really well here. They're going to be a plucky team. They're young. But they're facing a really easy schedule of teams that aren't going to amount to shit. Let me read you these teams again now we look back at this season. And we'll do a season review show and go through this properly. But let's just do this quickly. Philadelphia, Washington, Minnesota, Seattle, New England, Dallas, Miami, Green Bay. That's your first eight teams. None of them... I was like, the Washington last week, the only team to be eliminated last week. Everyone else is still in the hunt. Chicago, obviously they were gone a while ago. New York are in. Buffalo in. Jacksonville, win and in. Minnesota, Jets, they were eliminated last week. Panthers eliminated last week and Bears. The only team currently eliminated from the playoffs that they've played so far this year are the Commanders and the Bears and the Jets. And two of them were last week. When we thought this season would be really easy, they faced inspired teams like the New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Giants, whoever thought thought was going to be rubbish. And they turned out to be so much better than we thought they were going to be. The Patriots are still in it, and we thought they were going to be a terrible team. The Seahawks were going to be a terrible team, and they've been really good. They they could be in at our expense. We are 8-8 eight and eight through one of the harder schedules we've ever had, and we thought it would be easy. How wrong we all were just looking at the previous season and not actually projecting forward, how wrong we were. And that's why you have to look through this lens of the 1-6 and six Detroit Lions and go, bloody hell, this team has achieved something miraculous, something extraordinary. It's not just the seven wins in nine. It's who they've yeah. done it against, and it's how well they've done it against teams that you would have expected us to get destroyed against. That New York Giants team was alive and kicking, and they're in the playoffs, and against a Saquon Barkley who's going to win comeback player of the year, and this run defense being so traumatized through the ills of the last two or three years. And after what's happened against them, you know, subsequently against Carolina or earlier on against other teams in the league, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Vikings... And we we put them to bed. And the Jacksonville Jags, you know, ETN and and Trevor Lawrence and what they've done, they're all really good teams. And I'm not saying if we lose, it's a winning season for us. You know, morally, we've done so well. It's not about that. It's looking back on the season and going, this is so much better of a record than you think it is. And I will hold that dear as we go to the fucking playoffs. So I, I would agree. I would agree. And I've seen Nigel ask me in the comments about when I said about the same old Lions stuff, I said that that is going to be the narrative that goes around if they lose. But if a team goes from one and six to eight and eight, obviously that's a really good season. But for me, the NFL, it's not like 
you are always going to just get a little bit better every year. You're not going to go from, you know, three wins to eight wins. There's no guarantee that next year is going to be better. Those chances do, these chances do not always come along. Do you know what our schedule is next year? Out of all these, at Kansas, at the Chargers, at the Saints, at the Buccaneers, at our, you know, our uh, equivalent in the AFC North, which is likely to be the Ravens, at our equivalent in the NFC East, which is likely to be the Cowboys. That is a brutal, brutal ass road schedule next year. And then you've got all your games in the NFC North. You've still got to go to Lambeau. You've still got to go, you know, to Soldier Field. This opportunity may not roll around again very quickly. The schedule next year is brutal. So I think that when the opportunity is there, you need to go hell for leather for it. And I would feel disappointed if we don't. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to ride them off. I love this team to bits. Now, I'll ride or die with them, whether they're picking first in the draft every year or whether they're winning Super Bowls every year. I don't care. But I think there is an opportunity here that we might not get in the next year or two. And I think that we need to go hell for leather for it and show our dominance over the Packers because we're going to need it going forward. Of course, our team is going to get better, but other teams are going to get better as well. The NFC North is going to get better again. And we've got to carry on been a great, we've got to carry on improving at the rate we are. But I just think there's an opportunity here. And if we lose convincingly, it's going to feel a little bit like the same as before. Mm. I'm not going to lie, but I'm, I'm not going to say it's the same old lines, but it's going to feel a little bit like we've been through before. According to Tankathon, and obviously some teams are duplicated in there and some teams are not mm. in there at all due to trades. But according to the teams that are on the board at the moment in the top 32, we have the fourth hardest strengths of schedule. This year. This year. Yeah. It says it all. It really says it all. Um, we will be, just to say this before we descend into anything else, we're going to be live, as I said at the top of the show, during the Seattle game and during the Detroit game on Sunday night. I'm not taking a day off. It will be a half past 4 a.m. finish. I will be going into work afterwards. So if you want to show some love and spend some time with a friend, watching the game, hoping and praying and drinking a lot, do come and say hello. I don't know if Ant, you you might be free. I'm off work for the next few weeks, so I'll I'll be very active slandering the Packers on Twitter. But yeah, I'll be I'll be here. Uh, what else do we have in the chats here? Um, Derek Bobarek has said, "I have so much confidence in this team. I've already placed a bet on next season." He says, "I wonder what the stats are on the, how often the strength of schedule projects before the season begins holds true by the end." I would argue, pretty much never. But there we go. Big Airy says, "Where do we send the coffee or Red Bull?" I'm going to need it. Fortunately, my workplace does. Me um... first. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And I mean, what happens with the schedule and stuff? There's rumors of an eighth team in the playoffs. I'm ignoring that because I think it's bogus. I think this is just talking heads, thinking of ways that might work. And it's just not going to happen realistically. So I don't see that. Do you see any merit in that sort of thing? And TV ratings. I see the TV ratings flying up if you put more people back in the equation because there's going to be a reason... There's going to be a narrative to watch with the Seattle and Rams game and Oz and Green Bay's game. I mean, will it happen? I doubt it. But I think there's an opportunity they do. And certainly it would be nice 
to go into this game with Green Bay as a win or win and you're in situation. I think it would be nice because I would like the team to undergo this trial because it's going to be very, very critical for their development as young players to be put in situations like this. And if and if we don't, we can go there and play spoiler, but then they will always have the argument that, well, you weren't playing for anything, so you weren't under the ultimate amount of pressure in that game. You will still be doubted. Even if we go to the pack, even if we go to Lambeau and beat the Packers, if there's no playoffs on the line for us, we'll still get doubted. We will. And I don't want to be doubted anymore. I want this team to be given the respect that it's due. I want this team to be able to look at everybody and say, we're different. So I want to be in that all pressure situation. So if it means getting an eighth seed in to do it, then fine. I'll take it. And then we can go and beat the Packers and we can watch them cry when we beat them on Sunday. I've never been this confident in a Lions team before. I said this, I think I said it on Lions Nation United the other day. I would take this team and I would take Jared Goff in this game over Matthew Stafford. I honestly would because Staff, for all we love about him, the turnovers, the big mistakes when it matters, the time of team we're playing against here, this Goff-orientated offense where it's not simple, but it's very... Thing is, we've got the playmakers here that maybe staff didn't have, but we've got the ability to run the ball and then put it in Goff's wheelhouse. And Goff is protecting the ball far better than Stafford ever did. So in a game where turnovers are absolutely critical, we can't give them a single turnover because they will take advantage. I will ride and die with Goff in this one, and I would do it over staff any day with this team. I think this team is set up perfectly to beat the Packers, and I'll ride with them. At the end of the day, I think we're strong where they're weak. I think the matchup favours us. The only problem is whether we can do it away from home. And let's have your score prediction, sir. My score prediction, Lions are going to win 37-27. to 27. I think we're going to get up on them early. I think the offence is going to put some real points down. I think our defence is going to struggle and it is going to give some up. But for me, we're the most dangerous team here. I do not buy this media narrative that no one wants to play the Packers. We have something that the Packers don't, which is a shed load of young, hungry talent, which is building the core of a team that's moving into the future. The Packers have been all in and they're regressing. They're a team that's on the downward trend at this moment in time. We're a team that's on the way up and has nothing to prove. We can just go out there and play our best football. You know, because if we lose, no one's going to be surprised. So we can play without that pressure. The Packers are going to be under pressure. And I think they're going to buckle for the first time. I honestly do. I believe this team's got put up points. Lions win by 10. Why so negative? Why so negative? Um, sorry, here's, what was here's... what was what was your predictions last week about you know the the Packers winning the Bears like giving us a really tough game? You you came up with some negative ones last week. I came up with some negative ones, and what I said was that that both teams were going to score forty points. And to their credit, the Lions did score forty points, so I got one half of it right. I did predict a Lions win, mind you, and that was true. But when I look at this game, I think that you look have a look at 
eight of the last nine games, and the Lions' run defense has been nothing short of miraculous. The Packers must establish the run to win this game. Rodgers cannot win it by himself. That's not who he is this year with his thumb. The Lions' defense will stop the run because they know what I know. Shut down the run and you win the game. They will come out and they will obliterate the Packers on offense. So on defense. On offense, this team will just do what it's done the last 18 weeks, which is have a hiccup here or there going three and out. But they will surgically move down the field when it matters most. This run game will go in fits and bursts, but the passing offense will be fantastic. The Lions will win 38 to 14. Oh, Jesus. I just it's that sort of watershed moment here, isn't it? It's just where the bad guy wins all the time and he just keeps on doing so and the plucky underdog just never gets there. This this honestly feels like a real watershed moment for the Lions. It really does for me because we've been secondary to them for so long. I mean, how many games have we been talking about a game at Lambeau in week 18 and we've just been like Oh yeah, we're gonna go out there, play hard, they're resting all their starters. It's it's kind of been season's already over by this point. And now it's at a point where we're not. We're there and the Packers have been vulnerable all season. And I try and keep my expectations. I've got to remember where this team's at in the rebuild. We're only two years in. There's still a lot of young guys, there's still a lot of growing, there's still a lot of developing, but I'm also conscious that at some point the statement has to be made that you are legitimate and you are worthy of people's time and respect. And there's just a big part of me that's feeling for Dan Campbell, who's had a lot of doubt, for the team in general that's had a lot of doubt. You've only got to look about how we've been treated against the Packers this week. Everyone's already talking about who's going to face the Packers and how no one wants to face the Packers. You know, we've kind of earned that moniker by being bad for so long. And sometimes somewhere the script's got to change. And I just feel like this, even despite where we are in our rebuild, is the opportunity that we need to take. Every playoff team should relish playing the Packers. They are a team which is not set up to win. The 49ers will be praying the that they 49ers, win this game. Yes, they will, the 49ers, yes. They will be betting on the Packers. The, the oh, 49ers be will be horrified if we win. They will 100%. be horrified because they're not ready for us. Not that they can't deal with us, but they won't be ready to face Detroit. They'll be gearing themselves up for the Packers right now, going, right, we've got the game plan. We know what's happening. Sorry, go on. We're not dissimilar from the 49ers offense. They know exactly no. what to expect from us, and that's what scares them. We are a West Coast-based offense that likes to do dink and, duck, dink and dunk short passing game with a little bit of spread rush, which we can do, but we also rush inside, so we're a bit more varied than they can be, and we've got a better deep ball passing game than they have when we want to break it loose. San Francisco will be scared of us because they know what their offense does to other people. But unfortunately for us, they are masters of the craft. We are we are gifted apprentices right now. They're the master. And yeah. and, and for one play, more week at least. The, the play calling, I mean, I, I respect the hell out of Shanahan. 
how you go through three quarterbacks and make it look like it doesn't bother your team whatsoever. I know quarterback two is Jimmy G, who's a perfectly good NFL quarterback, but to do it with Mr. Irrelevant as well is a level of skill that I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to say we're not there yet. And their defense is just rank ass elite. <laughs> I don't know why I say rank elite, but it is, it, 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 it's the creme de la creme. That's what every NFL team aspires for on defense is the 49ers one. It, it, it's a vast difference there. And we play like them, but like I say, we're gifted apprentices. They are masters of the craft in their prime. They ain't ready to give way just yet. But I would love to see us play them. I'd love to see the lessons we learned from the start of last season because we hung. I know we got blown out a bit early, but we did hang. We did give them some nervous moments and we're a lot better team than the last time they faced us 100 my thanks again to derek bobarek who's cheered with 50 bits he thinks it's going to be lions 30 packers 27 to a man no one thinks that the lions are going to lose in the live chat on sunday dare i say we're biased we probably are i don't give a crap and anything you want to say before we close out the show not really i think i've said everything i need to i'm just I'm incredibly nervous and excited for this one. I just, I want it to stop. I want the disrespect to stop. And we have a prime opportunity to give the finger to the entire world at this stage. And I just hope that even if we don't win, I hope that we push them to the absolute limit and they come out of this game feeling like they've gone through a war. If this team can do that, then... It will have been a really good season for us to come back from where we have to pushing Green Bay to the absolute limit at their home ground with a playoff point on the line. I'm just I'm excited about the challenge. I'm just nervous and I just hope it goes well. I'm proud of this team. That's all I have to say. Next episode, Monday. 9th of January, it's the Packers review show, potentially the last review show for us for the 2022 NFL season. Let's hope and pray that it isn't. College Football Podcast was yesterday. They had a look back at the semifinals of the National Championship and a look ahead to the National Championship finals coming up Tuesday next week, I think it is, that that happens. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, otherwise, you can find us on our socials, Royal Alliance UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The group for worldwide fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK, one private wide. The website with Ash's preview articles, RoyalAllianceUK.com. Subscribe and rate us five stars there on YouTube and whatever you can. Much appreciated. To everyone in the live chat, appreciate you. It's been a fantastic season for us as podcasters and for the Lions. We appreciate you being on this journey with us so, so much as we continue to grow. Your support is not taken for granted. To the Lions, I just have the one historic quote that rings through my mind at this time. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. My name is Matthew Turner. He's Anthony Fitzpatrick. We'll see you on Sunday. Let's go Lions 1 Pride. Book the Packers.